Welcome back to Mark's Madness Collaboration. <laughs> Welcome back. We're doing it again. Doing it again. Collaboration. Impression of Nathan before we started. <laughs> Jumani 2 tried to throw me off my game, but I cannot be stopped when it comes to boop, 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 boop. Uh, I can't even do it. I just know it's a bunch of. That was like a Mario intro. Like, that being said, this is Mark's We're getting sued now. Oh, good. Oh, God. The Nintendo Corporation is after us. It has begun. Uh, we, we did two pitch perfect uh, use of the Mario. Exactly. Uh, I have perfect pitch if you can perfect. tell by my tone deafness. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mark's Madness Pod in collaboration with the Red Nation. Uh, we will be continuing our reading of the detour that we are on now. Uh, and and then I think after this episode, we will be continuing reading uh, the uh, direct text of the Red Deal. Uh, but as we are wont to do at the beginning of our episodes, we are going to briefly talk on some current events. Uh, Shugmani 2, what do you have for us this week? So uh, currently the TMX pipeline up in BC, Canada, um, is uh, building d- uh, illegally during drought uh, and uh, basically sending a bunch of silt into the river as the sockeye salmon are spawning. So that's going to be detrimental to... Um, spawning survival rates, you know, the overall health of the river and salmon. And, you know, I tell this story all the time, but like when I was up at the Lummi Nation in Washington, they were talking about how they only had four salmon return, you know. So when there's a major river getting fucked up like that, I don't know. I, I think people need to get off their ass and start doing something about the pipelines. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what, but do something anyway. <laughs> it's kind of hard in Canada because they've specifically made it illegal to block critical infrastructure. Really? So, yeah, because of how much success um, yeah. uh, the, we had back in 2019 with uh, the Unistotan uh, protest. And now, they'll never, they'll never make it legal for you to win power. So when your protests are too effective, they ban the protests. Right, but exactly. Then I mean, like, then they'll be like, "Look at these other countries over here, the most evil authoritarian." <laughs> oh yeah, like I, I was rambling to my uh, father-in-law last night, and I was like, you know, like people sit there and say how Taiwan's not sovereign or whatever, but then they'll say that Native American tribes here are fucking sovereign. You know, Christy Nome threatens us with the national guard when we set up ch- COVID checkpoints. You know, like. China's not threatening them constantly with invasion for doing COVID measures. You know what I mean? There might, the missile firing over their skies was probably the scariest it's gotten in recent years. You know? But, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, oh, oh, and then, yeah, Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, side note, fuck Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, Uh. yeah. Uh, there we go. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna, gonna continue from page 148. We're gonna jump back a bit. Uh, Nathan isn't reading. The, obviously, I'm reading it <laughs> to them. Cause this is a detour. So I gotta teach everybody in this moment. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we're reading Our History is the Future, chapter four, Flood. Uh, like I said, we're at the bottom of page 148. Uh, uh, and so we're gonna hammer home, you know, one of the last points we were able to make in the last episode. So. 
Public land for public good was a highly subsidized uh, federal endeavor for private enterprise, uh, racial exclusion, and indigenous elimination. One and a half million white families gained title to 246 million acres of indigenous lands, an area nearly the size of California and Texas combined. Uh, under the Homestead Act, with the added value of federally subsidized irrigation. A quarter of adults alive today in the United States are direct descendants of those who profited from the Homestead Act's legacy of exclusive racialized property ownership and, and economic mobility, a legacy that categorically excluded black, indigenous, and other non-white peoples. Access uh, to indigenous water was crucial for securing the ownership of indigenous lands and generating wealth from these lands over generations. Thus, a single land policy has had a profound, lasting political and economic legacy. It informs present disparities, which boil down to a single axiom. Land is wealth and water is wealth. The Pick Sloan plan is part and parcel of this massive settler colonial agriculture. Uh, yeah, I- We can't help you with that word. We can't see it. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's not an agricultural machine that greases its gears with water. Today, agriculture in the Western United States accounts for the th- for three quarters of all water usage. Water is settler colonialism's, colonialism's lifeblood, blood that has to be continually continually excised from indigenous peoples. And so, obviously, to me, that immediately calls to mind, you know, Marx's comparisons of capitalists to vampires. Um, yes. My favorite part of Capital, where the werewolves and the spooky guys came in. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, in his time, settler colonialism's cause effects were very apparent, but unfortunately not as studied as they should have been. Like, I get Marx gives a chapter of it to... Like a chapter to cap, like a colonialism, capitalism, and colonialism, mm-hmm. but he really doesn't dive in depth as, like, say, Walter Rodney does, and you know how Europe underdeveloped Africa. I would almost call that like the capital of Africa, you know, um, or more or less um, the conditions of the working class of England, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, I I almost argue that there should be something more along those lines for indigenous people. I'd love to write it or whatever, but, you know, I'm assuming somebody else already is. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, like, uh, Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz's um, Indigenous People's History of the United States is probably the closest we really get to something like that. Um, but, like, Lenin, Mao, Fanon, Ho Chi Minh, and many others expanded on Marx's framework in the crucible of revolution in their homelands. Uh during the water wars in Bolivia, we saw the financial titans that run the Suez Canal deprive the toiling masses of water, and after blood, sweat, and revolution, they've seen a quicker decrease in inequality than China. You know, addressing the settler colonial question is our primary contradiction here in the United States, and by doing so, we address imperialism, monopoly finance, racial injustice, gender violence, hunger, alienation, and so much more. Um, and, you know, that's that's my words, not Nick's. Um, Nick's uh, book is a little milk toast, so it appeals to people like Mark Ruffalo. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's the unfortunate truth. But, you know, now Nick's like on CNN and shit. So that's pretty cool. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's good. Yeah, he's on CNN. That's fucking awesome. awesome. Yeah, so anyway, astroturfing is often how the state and ruling class combats indigenous movements, uh, where they must provide an alternative to a sensible movement that uh, appeals to notions of, you know, liberty and individual freedom, usually. You know, and, and that will mean nothing when, you know, every aspect of their life has been rendered poisonous, you know, like the rain. Um, if you don't know, uh, rain is now all po- all rain on Earth is poisoned by PFAS chemicals that also contaminate Rec Bay communities' water. Um, their fish grow heads, second heads. I mean, I've never seen it personally, and there's no media reporting on it, but from first-hand accounts... There's mutations going on from PFAS chemicals, and now well, it's and in if, all of our rain. I was going to say, if it's in all of our rain, it's in all of our soil, it's in all of our cereal crops. Yeah, so, we're fucked. Yeah, good, good fucking luck, everyone. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, you know, that you know, somehow they still find a way though to sell it back, you know. And so, you know, the ruling class does. Um, and so in this era and many others. It, it, you know, it, it wasn't really that different with this astroturfing, right? So, like, during Andrew Jackson's election, um, his main opponent uh, had their campaign derailed on discussions of the mole people. The, um, the, the what now? The mole people. You know, the 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 last frontier. Okay. In, in oh, Earth. Okay. There... Okay, all right. Now, all right, there there haven't been a lot of these in a while, so you got you got to forgive me if I'm a little rusty on on this. But what the actual fuck are we talking about right now? So, yeah, so get this: um, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Jackson's election, where he gets elected, uh, is the first ever election where a third party candidate uh, has a major role. In fact, okay. uh, gains more votes than the uh, um, what's it called. Uh, opposition parties candidates, okay. right. right? And so, um, the, the thing is, is this guy, um, he had two issues. He did, he didn't support federal oversight of the United States and he didn't, uh, it, and he thought the mole people were a serious problem that we needed to deal with. Um, the mole people. So Andrew Jackson voiced support for the mole people and then quite sensibly, you know, the other guy, fucking was like what the fuck are you two talking about you know <laughs> wait, wait a minute andrew jackson was into the mole people well it was a it, it's a political tool right it's like QAnon. you know if you're able to distract voters with fiction you know yeah you can fuck up elections it's crazy man uh, i hope we get QAnon anonymous did a whole episode on this I sincerely hope we get to a point where uh, QAnon is looked at as ridiculously as mole people. I I would hope we were already there, and it scares me that you don't think we're already there. Uh, uh, I'm not talking about like us, the the informed or at least more informed members of the electorate. I'm talking about just the general population. Well, I feel like the general population is informed that QAnon's nuts, right? I hope well, so, yeah. but man, I worry. I mean, so I, I would think Andrew Jackson wasn't the only president with that problem, too. I'm pretty sure like John Quincy Adams was a hollow earther as well. 
No way. Oh yeah, probably. Actually, if I remember the episode, they mentioned that actually, because yeah. like this was common, the Hollow Earth theory. Like, yeah, this it was a big thing come in the out of nowhere. Century. You know what I mean? Like, the, and I mean, it's a huge thing today in QAnon circles. So it's like all all of these conspiracy theories have like this super old fucking ties. It's stupid, honestly. Uh, and and if that doesn't speak to the astroturfing, I don't know what does. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, for the Pick Sloan debate came governors, businessmen, community organizations, and government officials who all found representation in the Missouri River States Committee, uh, formerly the Upper Missouri River Valley Development Authority, which dissolved in 1941. Um, the first st- states to join the committee was North and South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and Nebraska, uh, which encompasses about 13 reservations whose land uh, was along or bordering uh, the Missouri River, including the Omaha, Winnebago, Santee, Rosebud, Ponca, Yankton, Lower Brule, Crow Creek, Cheyenne River, Standy Rock, Fort Berthold, uh, uh, Fort Peck, uh, and Fort Peck Reservation. <laughs> Missouri, Kansas, and Iowa would also come to join, so that brings in a whole bunch of other reservations. Um, uh, but Nick Estes sarcastically writes... Uh, that these were, this was a grassroots movement, quote unquote, because that's how they try to frame it, you know, and so much like, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, the trucker convoy, you know, they, oh, the freedom, they, the freedom convoy. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, they, they start to use indigenous language and stuff, but oftentimes leave them out of discussions of leadership, um, which is by design, of course. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes was just openly conspiring to kill and rob Indians. Like, you will come to see. Uh, we're gonna try to condense 19 pages into one episode, so wish us luck, everyone. Buckle up! <laughs> right, strap in. What was your old thing? Strap in, strap on. Strap on, strap in, let's go. That's and I'm, right. I'm gonna try to be clear when it's Nick's words and my words, alright? Because I feel <laughs> okay. like... I have a similar writing style. Anyway, in 19, he's obviously like an inspiration of mine and fucking was my mentor. So <laughs> it bleeds through. Anyway, uh, in 1951, it would be Standing Rock chairman Josephine Kelly who challenged North and South Dakota's willingness to flood indigenous lands so downriver states could benefit from the water, uh, more. Someone asked why these dams weren't used in the areas most affected by floods. Uh, which Killy, not Killy, Kelly, uh, <laughs> had bluntly put as, uh, quote, because there are no Indians down in that country. Oh, flood us out and fix two problems at once. That's not an X. I'm just going to say that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the idea is, you know, if you, if you're flooding us, you're moving us from the land and you're taking our land at the same time. And unfortunately, instead of, you know, in the past, it was taking our land for resources. This time, they were literally wasting it. You know, um, quote from Nick's book, uh, the committee would work closely with the Bureau of uh, Reclamation and the Army Corps. In the words of its chair, M.Q. Sharp, quote, for the general development of the Missouri River, for the multiple purposes of flood control, power, development, irrigation, navigation, soil conservation, and wildlife and recreational development. As he went on to explain, the Missouri River States Committee had really become the general overall supervising, coordinating, steering, and representative committee for the development of the Missouri River Basin 
on a valley-wide overall plan representing all the sovereign states of the basin in their sovereign status and in a semi-official way. End quote. Thus, states' interests didn't lay solely in river development. They also proposed the total liquidation of indigenous political authority through termination. Actual end quote. <laughs> end quote of him, and then end quote of Nick. <laughs> but basically, you know, uh, I, I think we can all see how saying that every sovereign is represented there is it really the case when uh, indigenous people aren't being represented on the committee, right? Um, and so the Fort Deck, Fort Deck, Fort Peck Dam uh, construction started in 1933, normalized how the Army Corps would ignore indigenous concerns. This came after destructive floods in 1927 that resulted in hydro, hydro, hydrological. Sure, study, which would be published four years later in the 308 report, finding its way into all future plans on the river. Under the 1933 National Industrial Recovery Act, uh, and with guidance from the 308 report, FDR would authorize the Fort uh, Peck Dam, finding much-needed employment for 10,000 workers, which we can all see exactly why that's appealing. The problem is, is the Fort Peck Dam results in literally the murder and destruction of a bunch of indigenous people without our consent, even, you know, without consideration for us whatsoever. Um, it was this act that, while alleviating the concerns of white workers, and according to the historian Michael Lawson, quote, greatly expanded its powers and functions beyond its constitutional limits, end quote, placing economic progress above the lives and lands of indigenous peoples. Five earthen-rolled dams were demanded after major flooding in 1944, most likely caused by early water flow changes. Um, I, you know, the 1933 dam, preventing water from flowing normally, would lead to a change in how everything happened. You know, it, it, domino effect, basically. You know, um... It's amazing how rerouting water would affect things downstream. Yeah, crazy, crazy how that works. <laughs> Shocking results. And so this new flood controlled, uh, uh, like this, like a uh, new flood was like sort of controlled, right? Um, and it ended up flooding six hundred and eleven thousand six hundred and forty-two acres uh, in the Dakotas, three hundred and ninety thousand five hundred eighty-four acres. Uh, belonged to the Yankton, Lower Brule, Crow Creek, Cheyenne River, Sandy Rock, Rosebud, Santee, and Fort Berthold reservations. The Oahe Dam flooded Cheyenne River and Sandy Rock. Fort Randall Dam flooded the Yankton and Rosebud reservations. Uh, Fort Randall also flooded Big Bend and Lower Brule and Crow Creek, while the Garrison Dam flooded Fort Berthold and then Gavin's Point Dam flooded Santee. So if you if you didn't if you missed that, some got flooded twice. Jesus. Yeah, twice. So they get flooded, they move, they get flooded again. That's So that, Oh my god. Continuing from Nick's book. Oh, it gets horrible. This is just going to be a, a Horrible, horrible episode, okay? Oh, God. All right. All right. All right, gang. Brace yourselves. This is not going to be cosmic or psychically fun. 
Like, this is like uh, the linen, but imagine it's just talking about genocide. How much genocide does it take to uh, build society? Yep. Awesome. So more, more than 900 native families, one-third of their overall population. This is Nick, by the way. Uh, overall populations were forced to relocate. Entire communities were forever submerged. Indigenous communities were well aware of the Pick Sloan dams, but had little idea where they would be built and how much it would affect them. Some communities were even flooded twice and experienced two dislocations, such as Crow Creek and Lower Brule. 75% of wildlife and plants and 90% of all commercial timber on these reservations' lands were destroyed. By design, the Pick Sloan plan was a destroyer of nations. End quote. The garrison dam made clear the Army Corps was aware and cared about flooding uh, the dams would cause because they made sure it wouldn't flood Bismarck or Wilston, which Wilston is tiny. Tiny. Bismarck I get. Wilston? No. Anyway, uh, which were white-dominated border towns in South Dakota. Uh, the reservoir being named uh, Lake Sakakoya after the Shoshone woman sold to the Lewis and Clark expedition by the Hidastas that people mistakenly call Sacagawea. So, continuing. (laughs) According to Michael Lawson, quote, the Pick Sloan dams destroyed more Indian land than any single public works project in the United States. uh, Quote from uh, Nick's book, Lenica Lee remembers teary-eyed women and men, young and old, gathering near the shorelines to watch as Minnesota, the Missouri River, slowly widened and the floodwaters crept up the rolling gumbo hills. Some, which <laughs> I've never used gumbo, seen gumbo used as an adjective. I've only, I must yeah. say, I thought I was like that—that's food. I'm confused. Yeah, I, I've never seen it used as an adjective. And I do we get to find out the jambalaya hills or anything no, else no, like no, that? No, no. <laughs> I wish, but you know, now I want to like look into it more because I'm like gumbo hills. That's what right. What the fuck does that mean? Is that like derogatory? <laughs> you know, Cajun. Look at that shitty ass hill. <laughs> uh, okay so, so some of them were singing the ancient songs of mourning she recalled they they sang of the coming death to the river life the people had known to lee it was an existential question about indigenous identity grounded in land and water would we still be able to call ourselves mini conju planters by the water um and so you know i mentioned the northwest a lot uh and i it was very very incredible experience for me and i i spoke with children of the um setting sun and media or rising sun media something like that um children of the sun media for sure there's a sun in there there's children they're of it <laughs> um which is like a several generations of uh, people who have been trying to educate settlers on the cultures of turtle island and um they um uh, they nickname you know, themselves and a lot of the people in the area as uh, salmon people. And those are basically people who use salmon to sustain their culture and ways of life. Um, sort of like how we use buffalo. Um, and there I had heard, uh, quote, will we still be the salmon people without the salmon? And then I heard the story, you know, I would later hear the story about the four salmon coming back to spawn. Um, and now, you know, with TMX, you know, it, 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 it only hearkens to, you know, the black snake that 
crazy horse talked about Juge Clasapa, which, uh, you know, is a black snake that stretches across the earth and kills it. So, you know, that's oil. I mean, say what you will, but, you know, how long before sports fishing in Yemen is the last source of salmon? You know? Jeez. That's Yemen. I don't know if you know what's going on there, but you should support the internet cafe that my friend's running. Uh, there will be a link in the description. Uh, that's what we call a plug. So continuing from Nick's book. <laughs> While indigenous peoples mourned the loss of the river, U.S. President J- uh, John F. Kennedy celebrated the Oahe's construction. At a dedication ceremony of the dam on August 17, 1962, held in Pierre, South Dakota, Kennedy spoke to a crowd of thousands, including businessmen, politicians, and the very indigenous peoples whose lands were sacrificed. His message was one of salvation. The triumph of lightness over darkness. Civilization over savagery. Quote, this dam and the... Re- this dam and the rest of dams on this river. <laughs> he said, which which 30 years ago would have provided only floods and darkness, now provides irrigation and light. Because <laughs> it's not do it. <laughs> no, no, you really, you had to do it. You had to do it to him. Okay, so that bad impression out of the way. Uh, there's, of course, a slew of, uh, you know, compensation discrepancies between uh, white and indigenous people affected. Uh, but settlers being dealt w- with uh, and paid individually, whereas indigenous people were paid as a collective, is a very obvious one, you know. And I, I'm sure that money ended up in a trust and not in, like, the hands of individual tribe members, yeah. you know. But surprisingly, however, is that indigenous people were awarded uh, more per acre uh, than their white counterparts, which according to the South Dakota Congressman E.Y. Berry, uh who declared during a 1954 debate over Cheyenne River's settlement, um, it was to, quote, throw off the shackles of federal supervision. Oh, God. So this is states' rights guy. This is a states' rights oh, argument. God. You know what I mean? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so it's, oh, why do we have to combat those idiots? Because it's this shit. All right, mm-hmm. it comes from somewhere. They don't know why they keep it up, you know. But it's so... People can fucking make arguments like this. You know what I mean? But $34 million would be awarded to Lower Brule, Cheyenne River, Crow Creek, Yankton, and Standing Rock, but on the condition of eventual termination. Quote, As early damages were being calculated on November 2nd, 1949, BIA Superintendent Frel M. Owl wrote to the Lower Brule and Crow Creek Tribal Councils advising them, perhaps for the first time, of the inevitable flooding of their lands. The two tribes no doubt knew about Pixlone, but none fathomed the catastrophe it would bring. Owl told them Congress transferred to the Army Corps all the lands required for the Big Bend and Fort Randall dams. Emphasizing Lower Brule and Crow Creek had no say in the matter, Owl wrote that they, that the proposal to take their lands, quote, is submitted to you not as a document that you should adopt, but it more or less points out the events to come in the future, end quote. Owl later conveyed the convoluted negotiation process. The Army Corps would condemn the land and negotiate directly with Crow Creek and Lower Brule Legal Council, 
the BIA would then approve and submit estimates of damages, but then Congress would hold final approval over all negotiations and pass legislation awarding monetary compensation. This lengthy you know, back when, oh, when people bitch about socialist countries, they use this word bureaucracy a lot. There's the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy. It's because <laughs> rich the fuck people is that right. <laughs> Exactly. Rich people don't deal with bureaucracy because they pay their way around it, but the United States is run on bureaucracy against colonized and poor people. Three. Three, three different bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. They made us jump through three different fucking people's hoops. That's insane shit. You know, <laughs> like, uh, it, it's like somebody seeking disability. That's what it reminds me of. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. They make it absolutely the- impossible. You know, you can't The way work. you still have to wait for, like, yeah, you can't work. You have to wait for, like, five months there's no uh, marriage equality, it. you know, like, yeah, like, oh, gay marriage is great. Enough. We have it now, you know, but it's, you know, possibly under attack. But it's like, why? Why are we not talking about disabled people's inability to get married without mm-hmm. losing their benefits? You mm-hmm. know, that should be a huge fight. Yep. You know, that's brought up any time we're talking about gay marriage and stuff like that. I don't know. That's my opinion. Um, You know, you got to fight every battle at once all the time. It's great. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. It's a very hard uh, balance to find, which is always, you know, the biggest issues that we face. Um, But this lengthy back and forth process resulted in tribes negotiating with three different entities, as I said, um, continuing on, though, uh, the Army Corps, the BIA and Congress often causing such a backlog in hearings and proceedings that tribes received the relocation money only after their lands were flooded. End quote. So in 1946, the BIA went on to uh, went on a two-year fact-finding mission called the, the Missouri River Basin Investigation, or MRBI, to assess the cost of relocation, taken lands, and intangible items. Uh, intangible damages that all led towards termination, which could be accelerated by the dams and give us the quote, gift of democracy, end quote. Similar to uh, what brown people across the world have to experience today as the U.S. invades them for oil. You know? Um, The BIA even recognized that most river communities relied on the quote, free goods of nature, end quote, which includes hunting, trapping, and fishing, but also agriculture, whether farmed or gathered. Their logic being that taking the lands would, quote, force Indians into seeking cash income to make up for the substantial portion of income now represented in their use of natural resources of their present environment, end quote. Uh, Continuing with Nick's book. In other words, indigenous peoples could only attain democracy once they were destroyed as nations. The BIA made it sound like flooding agencies, the reservation's headquarters, constituted liberation from dictatorial rule. Quote, our Indian agencies are growths descended from the frontier, the report claimed. It called the towns undemocratic and stated that their end, quote, might take the course of transferring most of the federal government's services to the states, end quote. Um, the transferring, uh, uh, the transfer of treaty obligations, um, fe- which is federal services such as health care and education, to the states is termination in line with Public Law 280. The wiping out of the agencies, the M- MRBI concluded, was a, quote, rare opportunity, end quote, that, quote, may lead to significant discoveries which will have wide applications to the conduct of Indian affairs in the United States, end quote. 
In other words, it was an experiment in democracy. And I don't know about you, but if that doesn't kind of show you where the playbook came from, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because this yeah. is all right after World War II. Yeah. You know? Like, Korea just was beginning, you know? So, like, you can see that a lot of uh, how we've gone about our imperialism is really derived from Indian policy and Indian wars. Um, which is why it's so important for uh, us as leftists to r- read this stuff. To learn what it is, because there is a legal route, right, that we can fight on. So that that's one route to it. If you're a pacifist and you don't want to be all radical, become a lawyer, go fight in the courts, right? But meanwhile, the radicals need to be out in the streets. You know, they need to be out making fucking community gardens. You need to be feeding your neighbors. You know, you need to be clothing people, which you can only do so much material... Uh, uh, alleviation but we need to have an actual battle in politics that matters and running a presidential candidate for a hundred thousand dollars every year is a waste of money you know you can be starting a court case for that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. a court case you might actually get somewhere you know it might just end up being a waste of money but hey it's actually something that could change laws in the meantime while fucking we actually try to start a revolution you know what i mean and it can make it easier for us to start a revolution instead of always fucking making conditions harder so that way it accelerates and conditions get worse and contradictions heighten. You know, that's insane shit and fucking quite psychotic, honestly. You know, um, that's my two cents. <laughs> but the constant attempt to progress uh, and paint genocide as altruistic and as something uh, we should be grateful for is reminiscent of the Monty Python sketch in Life of Brian, where the Jewish rebel group says, what have the Romans ever done for us? To which his cohorts give answers like roads, aqueducts, and other things such as that. Uh, which is supposed to make up for the brutal repression and occupations and murder of innocent people. You know, um, only really settlers would think that is a reasonable response. And a funny one at that. Um, 30% of Cheyenne agency relocated. Um, Fort Yates, which is Sandy Rock's agency, was turned into an island and now connected by bridge. 25% of their population forced to relocate. Uh, for Lower Brule and Crow Creek combined headquarters, um, the combined headquarters moved to Pierre, making services harder to access as it was 60 miles away. And uh, their uh, Indian health services were relocated to the racist border town of Chamberlain. Uh, Their headquarters would have been there, too, but we'll get into why that's not the case. Um, So to understand the scope of these dams, Oahe stands 245 feet high and stretches from Pierre to Bismarck for 250 miles and stores 23.5 million acre feet of water and is and is is as long as Lake Ontario. And as deep as Lake Erie. That's a man-made lake. That flooded our lands and murdered us. You know. That's huge. For what? Yeah. So somebody in another state could have more access to water. And they could take more of our land. So anyway... Um, 
Where was I? The smallest reservoir, Gavin's Point, created Lewis and Clark Lake on top of nearly 600 acre of Santee lands. Um, so, continuing Nick's book. During a 1958 congressional hearing of the Oahe Dam, Standing Rock member Lewis Thief compared the catastrophic impact of, quote, well, of intangible damages to the delayed explosion of an atomic bomb, unfolding gradually over time and space rather than a split second. Forever destroying the land and whose consequences could only be fully understood by future generations. The bomb killed the, quote, little things that had no market value such as mice or mouse mice or mouse beans, which had prevented many indigenous peoples from starvation on the reservations. Mouse beans, or Machatomnicha, Tomnicha, I don't know, uh, in Lakota are ground beans that are highly revered in indigenous culture. Uh, these beans are also, end quote, uh, but th- these beans are also known as hog peanuts and are uh, perennial, making them a recurring source of protein and sustenance that saved countless people in need throughout history uh, during, you know, harsh winters and stuff like that. Um, Thief would even recount a story of a man um, being able to gather enough just to survive for two weeks before he was able to get, like, a buffalo. Um, But basically, being saving his life, you know. Um, So along with the destruction of these lands and the many intangible things lost... uh, the health of our communities was also hurt even more. So, you know, obviously we have alcoholism being introduced by settlers, but so many people had to switch from, you know, hand-gathered foods that are fairly healthy for you, you know, uh, to heavily processed commodities leading to, you know, higher rates of diabetes, which did not exist in our communities prior to the reservation system. You know, there is no accounts of people having, you know, ins- uh, I don't know, insulin, like lack of insulin when you go into diabetic shock, I think is what it's called. Um, but continuing on with the next book, also at stake was the future realization of life that sustained indigenous lives that kept families from starving to death. In this sense, the dams reached into the future to take human and non-human life and literally drowned its potential reproduction. Calculations were not for immediate damages, but for future damages, demonstrating the MRBI's inability to realize relations with other than human life. For the Atete Shacholin, the attempt at compensation for taking their future was not a new phenomenon. During the illegal annexation of the Black Hills, a federal official offered Red Cloud and his people, which is my people, uh, <laughs> I'm literally related to Red Cloud, <laughs> but uh, six million for the Black Hills. When Red Cloud refused, the official asked him uh, the value of the Black Hills, which he said, "The Black Hills are worth seven generations to me." Uh, in other words, it was not about money, but about a viable future, something entirely unquantifiable. It was not merely about surrendering one's lands, but also surrendering one's future relations to that land. As Lord Brule tribe. Old council member Richard LaRoche Jr. LaRoche Jr. It could be LaRoche. Testified before Congress in 1955. We doubt if any group of strangers to this land, even though they may have some skill as appraisers, could come to it and find all the real values of it and appraise them accurately. We who lived it, with it, and owned some of it, worked it all of our lives, think we are better able to tell you its true value. And to me, um, 
Yeah, I, I've been reading Walter Ronnie because uh, he just released the well, not him, but uh, they released decolonial mark decolonial Marxism, um, and um, he paraphrased another author in how Europe underdeveloped Africa, which I read to reacquaint uh, myself with Ronnie's theory, um, which you know it encapsulates what a viable future means. Uh, roughly, he says the worst that can befall a colonized people is to be removed from history. I.e., to be colonized is to lose your agency to engage with history on your own terms. Um, and what else is termination if not removing us from history? Literally. Quite literally turning us into Americans. Removing our I- national identity and mm-hmm. forcing us to become part of some patriotic mythos. Sounded like one of y'all were going to say something. No, 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 no. I was, I was starting to say, but I mean, that's definitely something that you, you know, had taken care of. So you're good. <laughs> yeah. Nick, Nick does a really good job. And I'm like, well, I okay. guess if I supplement Nick's, you know, less, you know, well, like hidden power level, it's going to turn out really good is what I thought. <laughs> And I think I think it does really well because, like, I sometimes forget that not everything that I've have written down is not Nick's. You know, I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, a smart person wrote this, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the BIA equated the cost to uh, quote, groceries equivalent to the fair market values of what was lost. Of course, these were underestimates and did not acknowledge. Uh, our harm, but instead being cold and further heartless. At one hearing, a congressman characterized the aid after flooding as the federal government playing Santa Claus. On the matter of other than human life devastated, the BIA said nature would have to, well, nature would, quote, have to reestablish on the open upland plains where a less hospitable and more rigorous climate prevails. So, yeah, I mean, they're openly acknowledging how shitty they're setting us up. They're setting us up for failure, you know, and they're, they're openly conspiring about it, you know? So well, cause that's why, that's why they exist. You know, I mean, people live in this mythos. It's like, Oh, you know, this has this purpose. It's all just there for genocide and control. That's mm-hmm. all it is. You know, that's why there's cops, that's why there's CIA, that's why there's FBI, that's why there's BIA, that's why every fucking one of them's there. And so continuing with Nick's book, as a result, many families had to subsist on monetary compensation that arrived only after their home had been flooded, with the result that they run the real risk of ending up penniless and homeless. And many did. Michael Lawson describes an all too familiar scene that unfolded at Standing Rock, which was also experienced by the Lower Brule and Crow Creek Reservations. Quote, In January 1960, when the Corps of Engineers finally delivered the settlement funds to Standing Rock, it also served the tribe with an immediate eviction order. In the midst of a fierce Dakota winter, with temperatures falling as low as 30 degrees below zero, tribal families who lived within the Oahe Reservoir taking air... Uh, Reservoir, uh, like the reservoir taking area. Um, that's like the worst term. I don't know. It doesn't sound like good English to me. But the reservoir taking area were forced to gather all their possessions and to leave their land because the federal government had not yet 
uh, made funds available for either the construction of new homes or the relocation of old dwellings. These people were crowded into cold and cheerless trailer houses, which they had to maintain at their own expense until permanent housing could be prepared. End quote. Most of these people are still in those trailers. Um, yeah. So, fuck them. Um, you like, like, uh, fucking, my, my family still is in their old fucking trailers they got from the government. You know, they got like a bunch of holes in the roof that they've just patched together. You know, that's how they do it. That's how you have to do it. I don't know. It's too expensive. So anyway, organizing and uniting was the only way the Ochete Shekoi defeated termination legislation. Dylan Meyer, the former director of the War Resolution Authority, uh, and, um, and that's the people who issued orders to imprison more than a hundred thousand Japanese Americans during World War II, um, would take over Indian affairs and lead the, uh, assault on indigenous sovereignty. One of the bigger issues being Lower Brule and Crow Creek's agency headquarters being relocated to the aforementioned border town Chamberlain. Because that was the original plan, was to put the IHS and the HQ in Chamberlain, right? Why would you separate them? That's really inconvenient. Um, so, continuing with Nick's book. Sure. Local white leadership reacted virulently. Because Chamberlain was the seat of Brula County, the county commissioner adopted a resolution to thwart en- any effort by the BIA and Congress to force the members of Lower Brule and Crow Creek into integration at the public schools and into the community at large, claiming it, quote, would place an intolerable financial burden on Brule County, South Dakota, end quote. Chamberlain Mayor Herschel V. Melcher took an even more threatening tone in a March 30th, 1954 letter to Casey and Barry, reminding them that carrying the quote, relief load for Indians, end quote, was the job of the federal government. Quote, we do not intend to let an Indian light around here at all. We do not want to live with them. We do not want them in our schools, he wrote. Impatiently, he sent another letter just two weeks later threatening racial violence. You know, if somebody's not replying to your first letter that's racist, you send them a second one threatening violence, obviously. Obviously. And so, quote, anybody who rents them any property will have to change his address and would not want the insurance and I would not want the insurance on his building. We do not feel that this town should be ruined by a mess like this. And we do not intend to take this lying down. End quote. That's their mayor. Uh, Crow Creek and Lower Blue tried to adapting new resolutions to end the commissioner's obstruction of the legal process, but the, they just refused to halt plans. They would not allow tribes to select their own legal counsel, and they wouldn't negotiate. Who cares if you're sovereign? All they have to do is ignore you. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it. All you have to do is ignore us. So when leftists ignore us, you're literally doing the federal government's job. Literally. That's just how it works. Our invisibility is how they do what they do. You know? Um, so anyway, uh, continuing Nick's book, uh, indigenous people are more than cultures. They are sovereign nations. 
Thinking purely in terms of culture as a form of historical agency tends to neglect the concrete reality of indigenous life. While Nixon's framework of slow violence, which these are my my, my parentheses, that is a violent what well, my parentheses inserting a quote from Nick, very confusing. Okay, <laughs> I, I just think he should have changed the way his book was outlined. His editors could have done better. But anyway, okay. Verso was going through like bankruptcy, whatever. Um, that is a violence that's neither spectacular nor instantaneous, which is how Nixon described his framework. Um, but rather, a gradual buildup of violences through environmental contamination is useful for understanding the lasting impacts of the Pixloan plan. There is also another kind of accumulation, one that is not always, not always spectacular nor instantaneous, but that nevertheless makes the end game of elimination and impossibility. The tradition of indigenous resistance. This accumulation is a radical consciousness and a political practice deeply embedded in history and place and cannot be simply overturned by colonial fiat or by inundation with water. It cannot be killed. It endures the long game of colonial occupation with the pick Sloan dams and failed project of termination uh, a new generation of young people thrown from their reservation homelands and shipped off to the city took up the, ma- the mantle of red power in the spirit of their ancestors and demanded freedom and justice in the face of the history of dispossession that's fucking 20 pages in one episode of goddamn mark's madness <laughs> bam <laughs> mark's madness speed run Damn. Uh, we started with the Mario music and then we speed ran. It was perfect. Oh, we hit the star music. Okay, but I hope that we all realize, even though we did that kind of quick, you know, why we did a three episode detour into one chapter of a whole nother book. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything, yeah, everything there was deeply important. So, and how. And the Red Deal just very, very offhandedly mentions Pick Sloan as if you would have all the context that you were just given there. So this is the exact kind of thing that the show is there for, is to kind of provide that context when it is not explicitly stated in the book as it wasn't in this case. Right. Well, and, and usually, so like, and I think that was... Oh, sorry. I was, was going to say, you, it's stated in a way, but it it needs more to flesh Exactly. It, needs, yeah. it, it needed a whole chapter of another book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we've we've done this kind of thing before. We just usually call it mini madness, which I think we went to do, but it was just it was too much, and we needed to make sure people didn't skip it from being the right wrong day or whatever because it was too it was, important. It was mini madness, but what if not mini? <laughs> <laughs> it was full size madness. It was the madness was regular sized, if anything. That was, <laughs> but that is. Uh, so we will be picking up next week uh, in back back in the Red Deal. With all the um, notes we like uh, teased in the last exactly exactly yeah, it's yeah. time to get back to get back to the work at hand and and start to see if we can carry this twenty page pace over I think we can do it again next week gang I think no nah, I, I don't think we can I don't I don't think we can but no, that, I know my notes you're not just shooting book. through for the stars <laughs> you're shooting for like another cosmos right there <laughs> well so the only reason I was able to get through this chapter is because I condensed sometimes like three pages into a sentence. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, Nick, why didn't you just do this, eh? <laughs> well, we won't be doing that with the Red Deal. We will be reading every delicious word, uh, and we will be doing that here on the Mark's Madness Podcast, a podcast that you can reach out to in a number of different ways, first of which is through email. Our email address is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. If you wanted to get us on Twitter, we are at Mark's Madness Pod. DMs are open, and the... Uh, link in our Twitter bio is to our Discord server, and that is where you can join us for more day-to-day talking. Uh, I believe there is a discussion of whether or not the band Franz Ferdinand is any good going on right now. Uh, some heavy-hitting... We, we tackle the heavy-hitting questions, uh, and then we talk about communism and how it's uh, the, the way forward, and all of that fun stuff. We also play video games. It's a, a diverse collection. Uh, that being there. said... Yeah, Shigmani 2 is also there, and David is there on command. So it is the best place to try and find on all command. three of us at any given time. I uh, basically work like a bat signal. It's all I got. It, I it is a bat signal. <laughs> at David, and he will show up. Uh, that being said, Shigmani 2, uh, plugs. Uh, like I said earlier in the episode, well, okay, first off, follow me on Twitter at Bands Island. You'll get a bunch of these updates all the time. Uh, but... Uh, Ooh, excuse me. Uh, you can also follow the Renation on Twitter, can, which is at yeah. Can Zondes. can can I interject one thing? I'm sorry. We have been saying too this whole time this is a collaboration with the Red Nation. It's also a collaboration with Bands of Turtle Island here with Shigmati's yeah, yeah, yeah. personally. So don't forget that not only is there Patreon support for that, but it's a very good pod that Shigmati too has worked on for a long time. So don't don't miss those episodes. No, yeah, no. So so the Red Media. Uh, which is the Red Nation, sort of like the Red Media, like is like a publishing arm, the Red the Red Nation, kind of, but uh, not really. It's its own five hundred one c three thing, but it's a formality. It's very confusing, and if you ever have an organization that successfully fundraises really well, you'll need a five hundred one c three. That's just how it works. Um, I, I get the whole oh you can't trust NGO things, but like. Don't put your organization in a worse position when you can be tax exempt. Just don't. That's stupid. Anyway, uh, I don't know why you would do that. Like, it, it makes no sense except out of some, like, ideological purity. Anyway, um, uh, that tangent aside, you can follow the Red Nation at the underscore red underscore nation on Twitter. Um, and then, like, they're also on Instagram and stuff. And YouTube, there's a YouTube channel. Go check out the YouTube channel, actually. I should really plug that more often. Uh, but for, for $1 a month, you can become a Patreon and support the Red Media, which uh, supports, like, my some of my tech, not a whole lot of it. Um, you know, like, uh, I got to get, like, collective approval, you know. And, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, when, like, big expenditures like going to Red Hill happen, well, you, there's not a whole lot of money left in the budget, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> or like uh, up in Toronto, there's a studio now, I guess. Um, oh, wow. I, I don't know how much was out of the dude's pocket and how much was out of Red Media's, but it's cool that we're able to like professionally produce like indigenous students' podcasts and stuff. Yeah. Hell yeah. You know, like who else is going to publish them in their radical content? Um, so that's just one of the many things that Patreon funds. Um, you know, I could go off into a huge list. There's a lot of uh, mutual aid and feeding people efforts. Uh, but you can also come to my Patreon and support me, which I really need it. Um, long story short, uh, I got a bunch of fines and like, you know, debt and shit because 
uh, inflation's crazy, so I was using credit cards to try to stay afloat. Uh, as you know, fucking cost of living just got out of hand in a bigger city, and so then I had to move back to rural, you know, Michigan, which I'm used to. So that way, you know, in case shit goes bad, I can at least go like trap a fucking rabbit or shoot a goddamn fucking squirrel with a pellet gun. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know if I'd be like eating too many squirrels in fucking Detroit. I don't know where they're eating, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, uh, that's the whole reasoning there. Plus, um, a public defender, um, a tribal public defender, um, is helping us out a lot. Um, but yeah, we just need a lot of help to get on our feet and we're about to get fined by the city. My dad lives in because he's, holding on to a bunch of garden supplies uh, that's going to build a permaculture food forest out where I live um, that hopefully we can, you know, supplant back that way where my dad's house is and my aunt's house is, you know, like we already have the land and we already have the supplies. The issue is we don't have the labor to put it together. You know what I mean? So it's like, ah, I don't know. I feel like I'm in a pretty good position for somebody who's working by themselves for the most part, besides like their community. But like, uh, you know, I don't have any communists around here that I'm working with, you know, like the communists that support me are online. Otherwise I have to convince a bunch of liberals to support a super radical project. That's like, yeah, I don't think this, well, okay. The town I live in has a 30 foot fucking Indian. Yeah. Pardon? Yeah, there's a 30-foot goddamn Native American chief that they paint a deeper shade of red every year. Fucking, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's bad. It's been real bad some years. One year it was maroon. What the hell? Yeah, people have been telling me, oh, my God. I'm like, this is racist as fuck. There's a bunch of reservations right over here. So, yeah, anyway, fucking, yeah, I... I need support from the internet, okay? You know, I'm I'm in an uphill battle here, and I'm doing pretty damn good, you know, for where we're at. You know, I I actually, you know, I just recruited a new comrade even. Uh, He's two months old, you know? (laughs) But yeah, no, so like, uh, there's a lot of good work that those Patreons go to, but, um... Uh, the Yemeni, uh, internet cafe that's super freaking important. Above all else, please give money to them. Please, if you have a dollar, give it to them over me. Seriously. Because Yemen's going through a genocide fueled by US, you know. Um, the only way people know what's going on there is if they can maintain internet connection, which is what this cafe does. So, like, the money goes towards maintaining batteries and stuff. Um, it's, uh, something that I'm helping promote with, um, the SRA in Philadelphia, you know, so I I don't know. I'm friends with a lot of people all across the country. So, you know, like I end up involved with a lot of different campaigns, but this, this is super important. Uh, like I was saying, rec bays, um, water relief, um, from the PFAS chemicals. Obviously we all need relief from that now. Um, but they've been asking for the last two years. So can we get them the help they need? We'll get those GoFundMe links in the description. But I think that's all my plugs and all my ranting. So, 
with that being said, David, it is time for a disclaimer. Absolutely. So for the Mark's Madness side of this collaboration, uh, way back when we started this, Nathan came up and was like, hey, I want to read Capital. And theory, history, those are things you read with other people. And so I figured, eh, you've read this once. Let's get together and read it. And so we started recording it. And since then, it was just the two of us. Um, so it's not very much input, but you want a group bigger than two. And we thought, well, we can record it. We'll share it with just other people. Just the two of us. Just, we can <laughs> sorry, sorry. try. Uh, we but anyway. That every, we played that every time we were in the podcast together. Every time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's coming true. No. Um, so anyway. <laughs> um, but we recorded it. We shared it with you guys. And then, you know, now there's there's hundreds of you with us every week. and ever since then what the vision was was hopefully you're out there in your party your cadre your organizing group and whatever reading group or political education group they have you're reading it along with us and we could be another voice another source of input um another perspective to add to this let's say that's not happening because you know they're on their own schedule or they're doing something shorter or more directly to a project they're or on or maybe you're in a rural area like i was mm-hmm. and you might not have access to comrades to speak with regularly Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, hopefully we can be that reading group. We can read this along with you. We can give you some of that context, uh, some of those other perspectives, uh, things that, you know, you can bounce off your own thoughts, the refreshers, the keeping it good in your head. And let's say that's not happening. And it's either a work that we're summarizing, like we did the last few pages of the society today, um, or a work that we read more word for word, like we're doing with the red deal, whatever we can do to make these works more accessible to you, because we want these works out there guiding your actions. When these works, uh, turn into an action that's a phenomenon called praxis praxis by definition doesn't exist without theory and theory is completely useless without it they go hand in hand they are tied at the hip amen as always that being said this is mark's madness pod in collaboration with the red nation my name is nathan my name's david no i should have been i was gonna i was gonna lily <laughs> And we will talk to y'all next week. Bye. Bye.